0: That's stamps.com. Code program.
1: When the pandemic first broke out, the world marveled at how quickly China seemed to cope. Whole new hospitals rose up in days and the virus was quickly contained through incredibly tough mass lockdowns. Never before has a government imposed so many restrictions on the movement of people. But China is one of the world's most populous countries, gripped by a virus no one had heard of until recently. But three years later, whilst the rest of the world has moved on, China was still stuck in a succession of tough lockdowns, until last month when mass protests and rising COVID infections brought China's zero COVID policy to a dramatic end. In a dramatic about-face, the country that routinely locked down entire cities is dropping its toughest COVID restrictions, despite soaring case numbers. With restrictions suddenly lifted, COVID is now tearing through the population of the country. How will China and the Chinese government cope? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, China and the Great Covid Gamble. It's almost exactly three years since an article appeared in The Times mentioning a mysterious new virus in China. It was written by our correspondent on the ground, who's been living in the Chinese capital ever since. This is Didi Tang. I am the Beijing
2: correspondent for The Times of London. I have been working for the paper for five years, coming up the sixth year. And I'm living in Beijing, where I get the front seat to what's going on in China when it comes to the pandemic. I haven't left the country for the past three years. I think the last time I was out of China was in December 2019. So I'm stuck here. Yes, You've seen
1: it through every stage of COVID. Exactly. When we last spoke to you, about a month ago now, there were protests across China at the policy of... Zero COVID, which meant that people were locked down. It was incredibly Mm -hmm. tough. Protests were breaking out everywhere. The government was just about to relent. For you, what happened when they suddenly changed their policy? So at the
2: time, I decided to go home to see my parents. Somehow, when I came back, I was assigned a red coat which meant centralized quarantine. I did not test positive for the virus. I was in Hangzhou. I was getting tested every single day. And I was fine. There was a case, a confirmed case, on a high-speed train that I took to be back in Beijing. And my worry was, what if my children tested positive and I'm not? And so some of the parents were talking about, if our children should get it, we're trying to lick their plates. So we can get infected as well. So we can be sent to the quarantine facility together. So we won't be separate from our children. If I should test negative, but I will be considered close contact. And my child was positive, right? So they will send us to two different facilities because we will be in two different uh. categories. But if I should be a confirmed c- case, if I should get infected, I will have increased the odds for me to be together with my children. So I was considered uh. a close contact. And that was enough. But luckily, I think at that time, it was December 5th, right, around that time, China was about to open up to lift the pandemic restrictions. By that time, Beijing, the local resources were already stretched. There was no one who could send me to the centralized quarantine facility. I think at the local level, community officials, they were overwhelmed with new cases, with confirmed cases. They came to my home to do the single tube test on me, and I tested negative. And then I got this call to say, look, we're not going to send you to the centralized facility, right? Why don't you just stay home? I said, okay, by staying home, what shall I do? And they say like, oh, just do this home observation. They did not even go to home quarantine myself. If they were going to do the hard one, they will install some kind of magnetic strip on my door to make sure I was not going to leave. So it was during my home quarantine When, you know, Beijing announced we were going to lift most of the restrictions if you should go outside, most places were not going to check your health code, which meant, you know, you could move around freely. So when I came out of this, like, home quarantine, right, I still had this red code, but I had this freedom, like, I could go most places. But interestingly, two days or three days after I was released from the home quarantine, I got the COVID. And I had no idea how I got
1: after it. After you were released from quarantine, <laughs> From you the got home COVID. quarantine.
2: I guess I would just roam around, right? I was roaming around enjoying my newfound freedom in my neighborhood. Oh. And somehow I breathe in or maybe from the delivery or from the package, you know, I received. Who
1: knows? And Didi, when you got it, just give us a sense. How many people around you, how many people in Beijing seem to be coming down with it? I started to
2: see many of my friends, they reported. They say, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. it was one after another people were relieved, right? Because after three years, finally, it was up to you to decide what you're going to do rather than being subject to government rules. Under the zero COVID policy, if your neighborhood has positive, you could be locked down along with your neighbor. And I actually, I felt so lucky. I was like, if I should have got the virus two weeks earlier, right? I will be sent to a quarantine facility. Who knew what was going to happen, right? What should I do with my family? What should I do with my work? Yeah. I felt so lucky that I got the virus after China abandoned the zero COVID policy. So it was like, I was doing this in the comforts of my home, right? I was totally fine. You know, I had enough food. I was able to rest. I was getting things I wanted to eat. I have all the books. I have the internet. I could still work. And I think it was after four days, I turned negative. Everything was fine. And I think I self-isolated for about five days. And how are you feeling now? Oh, totally fine. Totally fine, yeah. My case was very mild. So I felt really lucky. Many of my friends, they had really bad symptoms.
1: And Didi, just give us a sense. In the last few weeks, since restrictions were suddenly lifted, what has life been like in Beijing?
2: The first thing is like, the greeting has changed, right? We'll say, have you got the virus? This is always the first thing we say when we meet. Yeah, someone like, hey, oh yeah, you have recovered. And then we started to share the experience and like, how were your symptoms? Your whole family got it? Yes, yes, the whole family got it. And I remember just before Christmas, it was probably was on Christmas Eve, some of the friends and families we gathered Everybody had already got it and everybody had recovered. And then we was joking about it. Now we had this like, freedom because now we're protected. You're able to go around. You don't have to worry about catching the virus, at least in the next three to six months. Now we're starting to see our parents getting infected. And I think that's actually it's becoming scary. This hospital in China's Sichuan province pushed to
0: the brink. COVID patients here now triaged. This doctor says those who've stopped breathing or who have no heartbeat are prioritized.
2: The tone just becomes much heavier. It was like, how are your parents? And then here in Beijing, I think everybody was getting it. The streets were very quiet. Now people are coming out. You have the congestion coming back the restaurants full. That's interesting. uh, Yeah. And then I live really close to this shopping center. And I think on the New Year's Eve, many people just went there to celebrate. They want to kick out 2022. They were very happy to welcome 2023, a year of hope, a good health, whatever it is. But at the same time, I also hear ambulances going by my apartment all the time. So it's far from being over and then we start to see pictures and then also first person posts in social media talking about how they have lost their grandparents or even their aging parents and talking about how hard it is to get Paxlovid here in Beijing and how hard it is to get a bed a hospital bed in Beijing and how hard it is to even to get into a funeral home to get the spot to be cremated at the same time my parents have got it and we are very worried. So I been every single day. Like we're not living together. We're living in two different cities. So every day for three times, I'll be asking them to check their temperature, to check their oxygen, the blood oxygen levels and how they feel, especially with their lungs in their chest. So a friend of mine, he was able to get a box of you know, Paxlovid and send it to my parents overnight. And it just to prevent any kind of severe cases. So that actually has put my mind to ease. And I
1: think my parents are doing fine. Paxlovid is the antiviral drug that can stop COVID becoming really serious. But it has to be taken within the first few days after you've been infected in order for it to work. But there are now serious shortages across China as case numbers continue to grow. There's a huge demand for Paxlovid. Surging infections have already sparked frenzied buying of medicine and test kits. There have been long queues and empty shelves in pharmacies since last week. The panic buying has spread to Hong Kong and even Thailand. Chinese officials say they will speed up the global procurement of COVID-related drugs to relieve pressure from domestic shortages.
2: And then we started to see people going to the black market, trying to buy. If they cannot get Paxlovid, they're trying to get the generics from India. But then, you know, the genetics coming from India, most likely they're fakes. There's not enough in the market. There were not even enough drugs to begin with. At the very start, when the younger population, right, when we were getting the COVID, there were not enough ibuprofen out there. Like apparently people going to the pharmacies and you know, asking for, there were not enough an- antigen testing kits. There were not enough ibuprofens. There were not enough children's Tylenol. I had a stockpile of Tylenol. I had like ibuprofen for me. And then I think a friend of mine, she basically, came to my home and raided them all. (laughs) I told her, look, I'm by myself. My children are not here. My children are in the States. I can always have them to get new supplies. Whatever I have, you can take them all. And she literally took all from my home.
1: It does sound really chaotic. Is this partly because of the way the restrictions were suddenly lifted?
2: Right. overnight. Really. So the government was saying that we're just tweaking it, but then to the effect, it was basically, it was gone. I really did not even see any meaningful measures to flatten the curve. After five days of self-isolation, I went out the cinema to see Avatar, and it was packed. <laughs> right? So there was like one extreme to the other extreme. At the same time, I just don't think the hospitals and the, the drugstores, they were prepared. The hospitals and the pharmacies, they got the same notice the same time we got the notice. like It was opening up, (laughs) but where were the medicines? And then the hospital workers, they were getting infected at the same time. So what was the solution? If your case is not severe, come back to work because we need you here. And also, remember, after three years, when they shifted the policy and then Those experts came out to tell people, hey, actually, Omicron wasn't that bad. Okay, but for three years, people were told how horrible, how terrible, how scary this virus
1: was. Didi, just tell us a bit about that. When they did drop restrictions, given that all all of the big scientists, all of the Mm -hmm. big government figures had been coming out, every mm-hmm. day for the last two years saying this is Terrible. incredibly was... serious, you mustn't right. leave, you mm-hmm. must be locked down. Mm-hmm. How did they suddenly change their rhetoric overnight? So there's
2: always saying whatever the government does is always correct. So don't question it.
0: If China opens up starting now, today, God bless all of you smart Western people who know better than Xi Jinping, how stupid we all are, how dumb and incompetent the government is. All they want to do is control people. Yes, let it open up. And in the next six months, one million Chinese citizens will die. So they
1: literally (laughs) changed their message overnight and said, this is just the right version now.
0: Right. So... China has been spending three years evaluating and assessing this evolving pandemic and finally saw this result in Shanghai. Very, very low death rate. So the government finally could say, now we can pivot back to a more balanced uh, situation here in the country. And then they started to
2: say, look, you know, what we have seen here, they don't have symptoms or very mild symptoms. And then the fatality rates are very low. But we're talking about six or six or seven months ago, they were telling us even if the mortality rate is low, but our population is huge, if China should open up, some like 1.5 million people were going to die. And the people saw like 1.5 million people were going to die. Let's support zero COVID policy. Like here in China, unlike heartless capitalists in the Western countries, we care about people's lives. We're not going to sacrifice the old people dying.
1: Given that everybody had been living under such strict rules for two years, and there was a lot of frustration, did everybody suddenly rush out because they could, or no, were no. people still nervous? <laughs> it's,
2: it's kind of December seventh when they opened up, and the people was, oh, okay, which means now government is going to allow the virus to circulate outside, and the people actually was even quieter than before. Everybody retreated
1: home. Really? Yes. Even though there had been so many protests wanting. China to open up when it did.
2: Right. So, of course, you know, some people say, oh, the protesters, you know, you guys are very hypocritical, right? Now we open up, (laughs) you retrieve to your home. But I think the argument is like, now, you know, it's my health, right? It's in my control. I have the choice, right? I can choose to go outside if I need to work to make a living Mm. or I can stay home. But at the very beginning, the first week, it was very noticeable. The streets were emptier than before the things were lifted. And then the metro, the commuter trains were emptier. And the streets were basically, they were dead. And then once people, they got the virus, they recovered. And then we started to see this sort of going back. Because I think even people, they were retreating home, but they also knew if we're going to live with the COVID, right, we're going to have this herd immunity. And once we get it, the freedom is finally going to be able to come back. Right? It's, it's like if... If we still should, you know, stuck to the zero COVID, you know, policy, there will be no end. We did not see an end. We did not see exit. Now, okay, we see the exit, but the cost is heavy, right?
1: In a moment, we'll hear how the lifting of restrictions has led to a soaring number of deaths. But first...
0: I'm Tony Gallagher, the editor of The Times... My team endeavours to bring you the best stories, the most incisive commentary, topical features, beautifully illustrated with award-winning photographs. But we can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
1: So when when the restrictions were lifted, you say that you know people were actually very cautious; they didn't want to go out. How long did it take to go from that stage to people starting to die of COVID?
2: Start to die? I think about two
1: weeks. China is being overwhelmed by a massive COVID surge. Hospital emergency rooms packed with patients who are mostly older, weak, and struggling.
2: You have the mass infections, and then you start to have the severe and then critical cases.
1: The size and scope of COVID infections remains unclear here because of little credible information and the way China's government counts COVID deaths. (laughs) There are too many, says this funeral provider, about demand. Near one hospital, we've seen empty caskets stacked in an alley.
2: Because in the first week when we were getting infected, we never heard any kind of the death report. And I think Was the second towards the end of second week and the third week, and then we started to see reports in Beijing. We're talking about eighty percent of the city population have been infected, and the city population twenty two million. So even if the percentage is very low, okay, so the absolute number is very still very high. So that's why we started to see the reports. They're talking about in Beijing, you go to the funeral homes, they are long lines, right, and you cannot get the funeral home to send you a car vehicle to pick up the body. So you had to do it in your own car. to set, And wow. then you had to wait. So what are we going to do? And in Shanghai, I think one family decided to burn the body in the neighborhood, in the
1: yard. Oh, my God.
2: And then, you know, the first week or two, I did not hear that many, like, ambulance sirens. But now, like, in the last week or so, it's just constant. As long as I'm awake, I can hear the sirens going by throughout the day. So I know, like, the situation is really bad.
1: Do you have a sense of how many people have died already, and how many might?
2: We really don't know. We really don't know. So, I mean, the government is still actually releasing the daily report how many people were infected, how many people died the previous day, right? So the latest reports, like some 4,000 people were infected throughout the whole country. Like, come on, it's a joke, right? It's just a blatant lie. Nobody believes those numbers. And well, why are you still releasing those numbers when everybody everyone under the sun, everybody on earth knows those numbers are not real. And, and I think the only thing we can go by is those like scientists, doctors, they're able to model. They know the science, they know how it works. So initially, I think they're talking about 5,000 people were dying every day in China. Now I think it's up to 9,000 a day and then the number is going to rise. 9,000 sounds a lot, sounds really a lot, but I'm also have this fear Maybe the actual number is even higher than that. Another sign was we started to see lots of obituaries. There were a lot more death notices than before, and then interestingly, none of the death notices was say coronavirus. They say, "Oh, this person died of illness." Very vague.
1: And Didi, how is it being reported on state media?
2: To give the state media the credit, you know, the journalists, right? They're asking the right questions. There was one interview. The Central China Television had done with a National Health Commission official to say, look, are we talking about more deaths than usual? At least the question was asked. They came out to say, yes, the number is huge, right? They say a lot of people are dying. But then they go back to say, look, when it comes to COVID, maybe the percentage is still in the normal range. And I think the answer is, but we don't know the percentage because we don't know how many people have been infected. But I'm sure, you know, there's a way for them to have a good idea. And then some local governments have already sent out surveys, including Beijing in the province of Sichuan in China's southeast. They're talking about nearly 80% of people have been infected. So there's a way they can, they know, I think there's a way. But how much are they sharing the information with us? I think that's the problem because the government has this tendency when it comes to releasing information, right? It's very selective. Tell people the truth. You're trying to say, okay, either you want to play up the danger, the risks of the COVID, or you trying to play down. Let's just not to do it. Can we just be honest, you know, to tell people
1: the way it is? When you speak to friends and people you know around Beijing, do they trust what they're being told by the government now? Oh, of course not. I think the government credibility
2: among the public has really been compromised by how they handle this pandemic. We know our personal experience. We know what we have gone through. We know how we feel in the last three years. And we know what we have been told. And one thing they're still telling us, like three people died yesterday of COVID. Like Who believes that? Who is going to think the government is telling us the truth?
1: And Didi, how is what's happening with COVID in China? How is it playing out for President Xi? Is it affecting his popularity at home?
2: I think so. So let's go back to those, you know, the A4 paper movement or the white paper movement, right? And what
1: was, this was shocking, the protests against lockdown?
2: So usually, you know, in China before, most likely people they knew we were not going to target the highest leader, right? If you were not happy with unpaid wages, you say, I want my wages back. If you were not happy with pollution, they say, you know, the pollution is bad. Just focus on the issue. So this time, a lot of the slogans that were chanted were like, we want to end the PCR test. We wanted to end the lockdowns, right? But this time, actually, we saw the slogans calling for his removal, calling for the downfall of the party. So I think that was a very clear sign.
0: People,
2: they're blaming the policy failure on the highest leader, on Xi himself. And so that actually has fed into the argument. It was the protest that prompted Beijing to open up. Because they did not expect the protests would have those political appeals. Maybe that was an awakening moment for Xi to realize, you know, he thought he was a great leader. He was given a third term without much opposition.
1: Xi Jinping is about to take his place in history, set to secure power here for a groundbreaking third term, addressing the Communist Party Congress. We must Be ready to withstand high winds, choppy waters, and even dangerous storms, he warned, of tough times ahead.
2: He probably thought he was really popular. And when he came into power in 2012, 2013, and he was a popular figure. People saw him as someone, you know, who was going to be able to do something great for the country. Like he was talking about anti-corruption and people really praised him. People really applauded that. And then there were like a lot of good things said about Xi in his first two or three years. But I think that has changed after those three years. And then, as I said, during the protests, those slogans came out. And I think that was shocking. To us. And then that probably was very shocking to the leadership in Beijing.
1: How, how much do you think they'll be worrying about it now?
2: I think they should be worried. Okay. I think they should be worried. But I'm always very skeptical about how much people can do. Okay. So the government still controls the military. Okay. They still control the state media. So it's easy for them to control the population. But Why I say the government needs to be worried is after China lifted those restrictions and on one of my walks, there were only like very few souls at this like shopping center. And then we start this conversation, this young woman, she was in her like 20s or 30s, very young woman. And she she was saying like, hey, I did not know what freedom, what democracy was. But after those three years, I realized, you know, what freedom and democracy should be. It was giving me those like goosebumps. It was like, "Wow, we're talking about this like younger generation of Chinese people. They saw it, they experienced it, they felt the pains, they felt the frustration. and it may have changed their mind, the younger Chinese people. They actually, they grew up in this country when this country was developing, was getting rich, was getting strong, right? So the younger generation, they're more likely to be patriotic nationalistic than the older people like us. But now we're talking about university students. They have gone through three years of closed management. They were not able to go outside the campus freely. So they spent some of their best years. Those like three years of pandemic shaped their views. And I think that comes to something what the government need to be worried about. If they cannot win the hearts of the younger generation, they may be in trouble.
1: They're not as scared as older generations who think about Tiananmen Square and the times when protests have been put down by the Chinese government so violently.
2: I think some of them they may know, but many of them they probably don't know. So they don't have that burden. They don't have to think about. But at the same time, I'm also worried. Maybe they're a little bit too naive. (laughs) I don't know.
1: And, Didi, you said that one of the other reasons, apart from the protests, one of the other reasons that you think restrictions were lifted was the state of the economy because, you know, right. the strict lockdowns had stopped businesses, they'd stopped supply chains. Um, and exactly. you know, It was really having a massive impact. Let's just use Foxconn as the example. <laughs> they make
2: iPhones. That factory makes some kind of like half of all the iPhones globally. And then when there was an outbreak in Foxconn, I think that was in October. Those like, young people, they were so afraid of the virus, they actually, they boated, they flat compound. So there were not enough people to start the example lines. Apple had to say the delivery of your iPhones and your MacBooks will be slower this year. We cannot fulfill those orders because there was a disruption in the supply chain because the factories in China were shut down. So economy is always very important to the party. China had this kind of a contract with these people. Politically, you get, you're going to obey me, but economically, we're going to make you rich. In 1989, you know, the students were talking about we wanted to have McDonald's, right? And then the party says, okay, you can have McDonald's. <laughs> you just don't talk about political reforms. This youngest generation, they grew up here in China. They went to the U.S. They went to the U.K. It was like, hey, you know, there's nothing for us to be jealous of. There's nothing we need to envy about Britain, about the U.S., because whatever they have material-wise, right? They have McDonald's, we have McDonald's, we have even better have Chinese food, whatever it is, high-rises. Look at our the skyscrapers. I mean, they had this, oh, yes, because the party, right? But now I think those three years, many of them are going to think, without democracy, without political reforms, why did this happen? Is it going to happen again? The government hasn't come out to officially to say that's their kind of policy, right? Someone has suggested, let's peak (laughs) as soon as possible so we can get over it, so we can get back to business. We can have the factories running, right? Everything can go back to normal as soon as possible. I think that's a terrible idea. I mean, you're talking about the, the health system being overwhelmed, right? Overburdened because you cannot take in that many cases all at once. But that kind of thought or even the talk about it shows you the eagerness by the government or by some people to get back to business, ASAP.
1: Didi, at the moment, you know, a lot of countries have travel restrictions on China. They are Mm -hmm. testing people when they come from China. How is that going down? The Chinese government definitely does not like that. Some countries have imposed entry restrictions targeting only Chinese travelers. This lacks scientific basis and some practices are unacceptable. We firmly oppose any attempts to manipulate epidemic prevention measures in order to achieve political goals.
2: But you also have to remember, after China opens its border on January the 8th, it will still continue to require a 48 hour negative PCR test result for anyone who's coming to China. So I can hardly see how those measures by other countries are being unfair. China also is the last country to open up and we're talking about mass infections happening at a scale that has not been seen before anywhere in the world. So Chinese government doesn't like it. They say, we're opening up. Why are you still keeping us out? But I, I can also remember at the start of 2020, China did not want other countries to close the borders. So do most people
1: understand why that's happening? I think so. Like my
2: circle of friends, right? I think people, they understand why this is happening. And we also know when you're coming back to China, you still have to have 48-hour negative PCR test result. It's easier for you to leave the country than for you to come back to the country. Even if you're Chinese national, it's still very hard.
1: And Didi, we're just a couple of weeks away now from Chinese New Year, which is Mm -hmm. often the time you get a lot of people moving moving around China, moving to go back and see their families before they come back to work. How do you think that's going to go, given the current circumstances?
2: The Chinese cities are already seeing the wave. And in Beijing, the wave is almost over. But it it may be a start for the countryside, for the rural areas, when people from the cities, the migrant workers in the cities, are going back to see their parents. And the rural areas, when we're talking about medical resources, they're very lacking they don't have as many like hospitals they don't have as many qualified doctors so i don't know how much you know work has been done so far in preparation for the chinese new year but i think there will be a lot more infections in the third and fourth tier cities right the smaller cities the towns the villages and how they are going to cope that is worrisome beijing has some of the best medical resources, even Beijing struggles. And then what about those small rural areas? But now it's also hard because, you know, all those cities, right, they're overwhelmed these days. Their hospitals are full. I think that has put lots of burden on the Chinese doctors and nurses and all the healthcare workers. They have been fighting this virus for three years and now they're fighting probably the most difficult battle in three years' time. They're exhausted. I can only say I have tons and tons of respect for those people. They're always on the front line doing all the work. And if the mortality is at the end should be in the normal range, I think we have to thank those people.
1: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times Beijing correspondent, Dee Tang. You can find all of Dee's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print. The producer was Chris Wade. The executive producer today was James Shield. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find this episode. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.